0: All right, well, good morning, Crossing Church. I wish I could say it's good to see you all, but it's good to be seen by you all. Thanks for noticing my new haircut. I was jealous of Cole, so I buzzed mine off. But it is good to see Tyler Dell and Madison and Brandon and Smitty and Aaron and Rich and Cole. He's not in here right now, but he'll be back, I'm sure. Um, So I'm an aspiring young pastoral intern learning how to preach in front of people. Let alone in front of a camera. So um, I love you guys. This sermon genuinely is for you guys, but I'm mostly going to look at our audience there. Okay. Um, so when Aaron asked me to preach, uh, he said it's going to be a, an open sermon. We're not going to be um, b- diving back into our series in First Peter. We'll be restarting that next week with Rich. So my mind went a few places of what to preach, and it went to Psalms. I love this book. It's an emotional book. It's a it's a raw book, and I feel like the Lord put on my heart to preach Psalm 91. It feels very relevant for this time, coronavirus time that we're in. So we're going to be in Psalm 91 this morning. So hopefully you have your Bibles with you in your house or right here, gentlemen and lady, please open your Bibles and read along Psalm 91 with me. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. A 1,000 may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands... Lord, thank You so much uh, for this day. Thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, I feel like Psalm 91 is such a word from You for us during this season, in this time in history, Lord, where um, many people are feeling afraid of coronavirus. And Lord, I just pray that uh, You would use me to call Your people to run to You for refuge, Lord. You've given us salvation in Your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we can trust that You'll protect us in all the ways that we need, Lord. So I just pray, Lord, that you would, you would draw near to us as we worship You through Your Word this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, King, Savior, and Treasure. Amen. So, you guys might be tired of hearing about this, tired of people talking about the coronavirus. Um, but it's affecting us all so much and indiscriminately. Um, We're noticing, as Aaron has talked about before, we have a spectrum of reactions to the coronavirus. We have the people who are saying, this is nothing, this is just a political thing, it's not even real, and then we have people freaking out. Um, I want to speak mostly to the people who are freaking out. If If you're really feeling afraid during this time, and not just afraid, but many of us are experiencing actual troubles and turmoil. Um, we know many people who have lost their jobs uh, or been furloughed or their hours have been cut. Um, this isn't just fear of coronavirus, but fear of what the coronavirus is doing to our jobs. The economic impact, that's probably where I'm more afraid, to be honest with you guys. Um, when we experience fear and trials and tribulations, it's going to push all of us to find refuge in something. We're all trying to find how can I find safe safety? Where can I find control? I've got to run to something to be safe. Refuges are being exposed all throughout our culture right now. I think it's a big thing God is doing. Uh, is our culture finding refuge in their bank account? and how much toilet paper they have. I know that's a joke, but why else are people buying all this toilet paper if not to feel safe and like they have control? Maybe you're finding refuge in your home, or in your spouse, or how much knowledge you have. I notice some people feel like they have to watch three hours of news every day, and watch videos online, and study, and study, and study, because the more knowledge they have, the more safe they may be from the coronavirus. This morning, God calls us to run to Him as refuge. The main thing I think this psalm tells us, in hindsight of the cross, is this. Because God has promised and provided salvation in Christ, we can find refuge in God amidst all of our troubles. The psalm is broken down into three parts. What's really cool, I think you probably noticed in verses 14-16, through 16, God speaks directly. It's a direct quote. We have two speakers in the psalm. We have the psalmist and we have God. And the psalmist is going to invite us to find refuge in God. And then he's going to talk about the blessings of taking refuge in God. And then verses 14-16, through 16, God will speak and it will be God's promise and provision for taking refuge in Him. But before we dive in, I want to offer you guys a quick note on interpreting this psalm and all the psalms. The book of Psalms is Hebrew poetry. It's full of simile, metaphor, hyperbole, parallelism, a lot of other things that I probably don't know yet. There's a temptation for us to read this psalm and the other psalms as universal, literal, physical promises for this life. And that's not how they're to be interpreted. Um, One author I found online said this, uh, the Psalms are prayers for this life and promises for the next. So just because the Psalms are prayers for this life doesn't mean that God might not answer these literally and physically in this life. But they're only universal promises for when we're in eternity. Ultimately, I would also remind you guys that this psalm and all the other psalms, kind of like Aaron reminded us last week from Luke 24, this psalm and all the others in the whole Bible is about Jesus. It's not about us. Every psalm has been fulfilled in Jesus or is about Jesus. So the life that we're going to see in this psalm of fearless faith, the life of perfectly finding refuge in God has been lived for us through Christ. And credited to us by God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So let's dive into the text here. The first thing is we're invited by the psalmist to find refuge in God. That's verses 1 and 2. He starts with a statement of truth and then a personal testimony. Let's look at his statement of truth first in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. To dwell in His shelter is is this picture of continual dwelling. It's permanent. It's not just when we need Him. How many of us go to Him only when we need? Before I got saved, when I thought I was a Christian, I would go to God, but only when I wanted to run a fast 400. Only when a girlfriend broke up to me. I wonder how many of you may be reacting that way. Maybe some of you who may be tuning in who aren't believers, who don't go to the Crossing Church. Somehow you just found this link. And you may believe in God, but only go to Him in times of need. The psalmist is inviting us to dwell in His shelter. The other word he uses is abide. It's a similar thing. It means to remain in, to rest, to lodge. Then he says the word shadow. Abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Think about what it means to be in something shadow. It means to be near it. It means to be under it. If it's a really hot day, which most of us love, but we need protection from the sun because our skin is starting to burn, where do we go? A shadow. Because to be near it and under it is to receive its protection. Then, he launches into a personal testimony in verse 2. So verse 1, this statement of truth, it's not just an out there truth. He's appropriated it by faith. It's not just an objective truth that He is indifferent to. It's probably one of or the banner over His life. God is the one He runs to as refuge and fortress. And He's inviting us to do the same thing. This invitation implies something really big. It implies intimacy using the words like dwell and abide in the shadow. But I don't know if you guys noticed, but he uses four names for God, four different names in those two verses. He says most high, almighty, the Lord, and my God. These are four different Hebrew names or words for God. Most high means Elion or is the Hebrew word Elion. It means God most high. It's a good translation. Higher than any other ruler or monarch, higher than any other angel princes, higher than the archangel Gabriel, or Michael, or the fallen angel Lucifer. The next word he uses is Almighty. This is the Hebrew word Shaddai, or El Shaddai. It means ruler of all. Other translations, it says the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of angel armies. There is no one more powerful than El Shaddai. He's omnipotent. He's the all-powerful God. It implies that God has all the power He needs to do anything He wants to do. The next name He uses is LORD. All caps, LORD. Anytime we see that in our English translations, it's the translation of the word Yahweh. The Jews added um, vowels in between (laughs) to make it sound like Jehovah. Also Jehovah. The proper name for our covenant God. It means the existing one. The self-existent one. He's eternal. He's unchanging. He is the covenant God. And finally, he uses the, the name my God at the end of verse 2. This is the Hebrew word Elohim. Uh, the supreme God is what this means. This is really interesting. It's a plural of the word Eloh. Uh, I heard in a documentary this fun tidbit I'm about to share with you guys. I never fact-checked it until now, until I did this word study. But you add I am at the end of a Hebrew word to pluralize it. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so if I'm wrong here, we'll go to Rich. He'll tell us next week if I was wrong. It's okay if I am, but this is the way I understand it. Think about the word cherub and seraph, singular for the Hebrew word angel. And if you add I am, cherubim, seraphim, it's plural for angels. So Eloi, singular for God. Elohim, plural for God, but not plural gods. Plural persons in God. I think it's a reference to the Trinity. We're teaching my son Zeke about the Trinity right now. Three persons, one God. Elohim is the plural for Eloi. Could be wrong. I think it's cool. Could be a reference to the Trinity. So anyways, the Most High, ruler of angel armies, all-powerful, omnipotent, self-existent, eternal covenant Triune Creator God is our God in Christ. That's amazing. That's really cool. So, that's God's invitation to us through the psalmist this morning. Have you accepted the invitation? Have you run to Him as a refuge and a fortress in this scary time? Where are you finding refuge? In your bank account, in your stacks of toilet paper, In, in a person? In your house, have you run to God? Only God can provide refuge in this season. Everything else is fleeting. Everything else is going to let us down. We're seeing that. It really doesn't matter how much money we have in our savings account. It does not protect us from coronavirus or from losing a job. We have to run to God. So the psalmist doesn't just invite us to find refuge in God. He tells us about the blessings of taking refuge in God. That's the next 10 verses, verses 3 through 13. I'm going to kind of break this down, though, instead of going through all of them at once. His role. We're going to see God's role first in verses 3 and 4. Let's read them together again. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. He will deliver us from traps set by our enemies. Faith-ruining traps, or traps that cause us to sin, or maybe blaspheme God. What I thought of, I could be wrong here, but I, I thought of Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. They were always trying to set traps for Jesus. Should we pay taxes to Caesar trying to trap him? And he nails him with his awesome answer. You'll have to look that up. God protected him from those traps set by his enemies. He'll he'll also deliver from the deadly pestilence. Disease is what that means. Sometimes, literally and physically. Sometimes through taking us to himself in death. The next thing he says is he'll cover us with his pinions, which means feathers. Under his wings we'll find refuge. The psalmist here is painting us a word picture of God as a bird. As a bird covers its chicks under its wings for protection from the elements, so God protects his people. Finally, his role, it says, his faithfulness is a shield and buckler. I love that. It's a reminder, in my opinion, of the one sided act of salvation. His commitment to glorify His name and bring His chosen into the enjoyment of His glory is the faithfulness that protects us. It is the shield that surrounds us as we sojourn to the heavenly city. And then we see the results of God's role as our refuge verses 5 through 8. Let's just look at 5 and 6 for now. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. The results, church, is that we don't have to fear anything. Things unseen. Terrors in the night. Coronavirus that stalks in the microscopic realm. Things seen. Arrows that fly by day. Destruction that happens in the middle of the day. Remember, the Most High Almighty God is in complete control of every single thing. Not even a bird falls to the ground apart from Him. So if you're struggling to believe this, a good prayer would be, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We definitely don't need to fear the wrath of God. I believe that is what verses 7 and 8 are referring to. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. The reason I think this is we don't have to fear God's wrath. This is talking about God's wrath is because the second half of verse eight. You're going to look with your eyes and you're going to see the compensation of the wicked, the the righteous condemning judgment of the wicked. And we know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We do not ever have to fear that. And maybe, this is another speculation, you don't have to take it as gospel, Jewish tradition says maybe Moses wrote this psalm. Since he wrote the one before, this one's not attributed to anyone. There's a tradition that says the one who was attributed to the last psalm wrote the one you're in. So if Moses wrote this psalm, maybe he's referring to the plagues he saw in Egypt. Maybe he's referring to the first Passover, the death of the firstborn, where where Moses literally saw the divine and specific wrath of God on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and the Israelites weren't touched. Even if not, in Christ, we don't need to fear receiving a sinner's payment for this life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. One commentator about all these verses says this, In other words, it's not a promise that those who trust God will never die of disease or even in some military conflict, but that they will not suffer those or any other calamities as God's judgment against them for their sin. Their sin has been atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So for those of you who may be listening online, I ask you to believe the Gospel. I don't want to see. I, I, my prayer is that anyone who listens to this sermon would not see a sinner's compensation on the day of judgment. God is holy and he's righteous and he's just. And, and sin cannot be in his presence. And he's made a way for us in Jesus Christ not to receive his wrath. One pastor illustrates it like this it's really good. He says, God has set a day, a day of judgment. None of us know when it's going to be. He knows. And with one hand, he's holding back his wrath, his holy wrath against sinners and sin. And with the other hand, he's beckoning people to come to Jesus Christ, believe in Jesus Christ. And on that day, God is going to drop both hands. And I'm just begging you, please put your faith in Jesus if you haven't put your faith in Jesus. If you want to talk about that, get on our Crossing website, email a pastor. Next, in verses 9 and 10, we see a reminder. It's like the psalmist says, in case you've forgotten why you enjoy protection and refuge in God, hearts prone to wander like we just sang, the psalmist reminds us, let's look at verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Verse 10 is tough to interpret, isn't it? It it seems to be saying that if and when God is our refuge, nothing bad should ever happen to us. We should never get sick. But we know that can't be right. I know Christians who have coronavirus. I know Christians who have cancer. So we need to rethink the things that we think are evil and recognize what true evil is. God has given us salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ, and promised to give us everything, use everything that happens in our lives for our good and for His glory. Probably every time I've preached, I remind everyone of Genesis 50-20. Joseph saying to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Romans 8-28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. But here's another one, less well known. Great for this passage. Luke 21, 16-18. Listen to this. Jesus is talking to His disciples. He says, You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for My name's sake, but not a hair of your head will, pl- will perish. By your endurance you'll gain your lives. What? Some of you they will put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. He must be talking about something besides physical death. It means that no faith ruining evil, wrath dealing plague can touch one of God's children. True evil is anything that would eternally separate us from God. That's what evil is true evil. And one of the reasons that that will never happen, another blessing of taking refuge in God, is that angels guard us in all our ways. That's verses 11 and 12. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. El Shaddai commands His angels to guard and to protect us. It's amazing. But interpreting these verses is similar to interpreting verse 10. Do these verses mean that angels will never allow us to stub our toes? Satan would have us believe so. Satan misquotes these these verses in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 4, when he's tempting Jesus, Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple mount and tells him to throw himself off. And then he quotes these verses to Jesus. He's implying, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, if these verses apply to you, God will command the angels not to let any physical harm come to you. Satan is the OG prosperity preacher. For those of you who aren't millennials, OG means original gangster, or just original. He's the original prosperity preacher. I picture Jesus, okay... Everything I'm going to say first is scriptural and true. I might speculate a little bit here in a second. But Jesus is the son of God. He did live a normal human life. Even though he was truly God, he lived a normal human life. He got hungry. He slept. He cried. He saw his godly friends die. Okay, now here's where I'm going to speculate. You don't have to take it as gospel, but I think it's true. He probably stubbed his toes. I mean, if he got tired, he got hungry, he saw his friends die, I bet Jesus stubbed his toes. He once was a little boy. I have a little boy, a three-year-old little boy. One of the distinguishing characteristics about Zeke Barlow is that he has scrapes all over his knees. His shins are always bruised up. He's still learning how to stay on his feet. We're outside playing and he falls, scrapes his legs. He's got bruises. Jesus was three years old once. I bet Jesus fell and scraped his knee. Jesus was also a carpenter. I've told you guys a little bit of my story. Last year I was a carpenter. I got hurt almost every single day on the job. Now maybe I was a really bad carpenter. I'm not the son of God, but I'm guessing as he's putting stuff together, he he put a hammer on the thumb once, maybe twice. I mean, he is Jesus, but I I bet he got hurt. Not only had he had he struck his foot against a stone. Jesus was on the path to Calvary. He was on the path to the cross. Satan thought if he could get Jesus to believe the prosperity gospel, that he wouldn't go to the cross. And Jesus is sitting there like, dude, you don't know how to read the Bible or apply it. I've stubbed my toes and I'm going to the cross. Jesus rebuked Satan. And then in Mark it says, right after that temptation, angels came and were ministering to him. So the angels were there. They were there guarding, ministering to Christ. And when we're in Christ, they guard us and bear us up as well. Isn't that an amazing thought? I was convicted as I studied this passage because these two verses are the only verses that Satan quotes in the whole Bible. And I noticed in my heart this kind of like fear of these verses. It's like, ooh, those are the ones Satan uses. Like I should just read over those really quickly. Don't know what to do with those. And as I studied and looked at the way Satan misuses them, I've, I've learned to love these and I believe these verses and I hope you guys do too. It's an amazing true thought that guardian angels guard us. The final blessing the psalmist speaks of regarding to the blessed provision of finding refuge in God is verse 13. It says, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. This is a unique verse in that it's the only offensive verse in the psalm. We've been talking about finding refuge and all that God does for us and the fearlessness we can experience. It's almost like it's a crescendo. All this awesome blessings, and then we read about guardian angels, and then we're like, I am ready to take on the world. I'm going out. We see offensive victory over evil forces that seek to destroy Namely, Satan. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In Genesis 3, Satan is described as the snake. So here we see that as ministers of reconciliation, as we go into the world with the good news of the gospel, we will tread on the enemy. How cool is that? Romans 16.20, Paul says at the end of his letter, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So that concludes the middle section of the psalm. The psalmist first invited us to find refuge in God. I invite you guys to do the same thing. And then explained the blessings of God's refuge amidst all of our troubles. So now we move to verses 14-16 through where we see God's promise and provision for taking refuge in Him. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. With long life, I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. First, let's look at the posture of the one who has found refuge in God. Look at what it says. God says about the posture of the person. This is someone who holds fast to God in love. Again, it's a picture of intimacy. It's another way of saying dwelling in His shelter, abiding in His shadow. It's someone who holds fast, but not out of duty, in love. We should not hold fast to God out of loveless duty. The first and greatest commandment forbids it. We should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second posture is that the refuge finder knows God's name. God is affirming what we saw in verses 1 and 2. You know God's names. And knowing God's names shows you know so much about Him. Think about all that His names implied. It's amazing. It's intimacy. I know You, God. And the third thing is that he calls to me. You see that at the beginning of verse 15. A person who calls to God when they are in trouble and need refuge. Like I said, not only when they're in trouble, but especially when they're in trouble and need refuge. We call to God and acknowledge God as their only hope. Is that you? So that's the posture of the person. But before I move on, let me, I, I have to say this. Without the gospel, these can come off as moral imperatives that we have to do better if we would just hold fast better, know his name more, call out to him more, that we will merit refuge. We may merit salvation and they aren't. We have to remember that we can only hold fast to God and love because he's first held fast to us. We love because he first loved us. We can only know his name, because He's known our, ours from before the foundation of the world. Our names were written in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. Before we can call to Him, He must call to us. He must change our hearts and give us new spiritual taste buds so that we can see Jesus as Lord and Savior and King and treasure. So finally, let's look at God's promises and provision. There are so many. There are eight. God promises and provides deliverance, protection, an answer. He'll be with us in trouble. He'll rescue us. He'll honor us. He'll satisfy us with long life. He'll show us His salvation. Deliverance even if it means deliverance by death never to die again. Protection from the ultimate evil that would eternally separate us from God. An answer, even if it's not on our time frame or the answer is no. He'll be with us in trouble, even in the valley of the shadow of death. He'll rescue us no matter how dangerous or perilous the situation seems for the fame of His own name. He'll honor us to be wrapped up in His glory and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Master. He'll satisfy us with long life. He's made known to us the path of life. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. He will show us His salvation. In this life, We will taste and see that the Lord is good. We'll receive a new heart that loves God and runs to Him as refuge. We'll experience an intimacy that knows Him as the Most High, Almighty Lord my God. By faith and spiritual eyes, we'll see Jesus Christ as Lord, King, Savior, and Treasure. And in the next life, church, in the next life, we will see Jesus. He will show us His salvation. Now I know every generation has thought, our generation is a generation He's coming back. I can dream too, right? We can dream too. What if, church, dream with me. What if? What if coronavirus is a a birth pang, a big one? We're at 10 centimeters. Here we go. Someday soon. What if this afternoon? What if tomorrow... We hear a trumpet louder than we've ever heard before. And we go outside and we see the scroll, the sky rolled up like a scroll. And King Jesus coming on a white horse with a tattoo on his thigh. And, and eyes of fire and a sword coming out of his mouth. And he brings us to himself and we get to see God. We see the beatific vision. I mean, we think the, the things he made on this earth are beautiful. Our hearts long to see God face to face. And with the glorified body we receive, we'll be able to see Him. Our eyes will be able to see the millions of colors. We can only see ten right now. We will see His salvation. I can't wait. I hope you can't either. I hope that stirs you to run to Him as refuge, that someday we're going to see this great salvation. Because God has promised and provided salvation in Christ, we can find refuge in Him amidst all our troubles. Because He's given us His Son, we can rest assured that He will protect and deliver us from ultimate evil. We can know we're completely safe from His wrath because Jesus took it on Himself. So, church family, through Christ, may we say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Let's pray. Father, we praise You and we thank You from the bottom of our hearts for the salvation You've given us in Christ. Lord, we have tasted and seen that You are good. And we run to You this morning as refuge. We repent of of the other ways we've been trying to seek and find refuge that isn't You. We acknowledge that none of that can provide refuge except for You, Lord. We, we praise You and we worship You for all the blessings You give us as we find refuge in You. Help us believe that Your angels are guarding us, that You will deliver us from, from evil and disease, Lord. We trust You. We love You, Lord, and we praise You. Lord, I acknowledge that You have made us to be in community with people and we pray for an end to this soon so that we may come together again and worship. But until then, Lord, we trust You we believe that you're doing good things through this. We pray all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our King, our Savior, our Lord, and our treasure. Amen.